Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. I feel beyond blessed to be sitting next to my guest in the studio today. Now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you've no doubt heard me mention that one of the greatest influences in my life is the late, great Earl Nightingale. Earl was one of the forefathers of the personal growth and development industry, a man whose timeless message in the strangest secret still rings true as ever today as it did at the time it was recorded some 61 years ago. And if you aren't familiar with Earl or his work, you should check out episode 61, where I go in depth on the strangest secret. I promise you, you'll be hooked. Now, like all the greats, Earl left behind quite a legacy, including 250 success-oriented programs that he wrote and recorded, as well as more than 7,000 radio shows and countless speeches to captivated audiences. He was also a loving husband and a true partner to the force of nature sitting next to me today. And I'm so thrilled to have Diana Nightingale join us here today. We just opened up the studio, and as many of you would know, we have buildings around Buffini Company that are named after my influences. We have the Ogmandino Conference Room. We have the Stephen Covey Learning Center. We have the Jim Rohn Conference Room. We have the Lou Tice Library. We have many, many places like that, and we just opened up the Nightingale Studio. So for the first time ever, I'm coming to you from the studio. We've been waiting to name this until Diana came. And so, Diana, top of the morning to you. So glad to have you here today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, and I'm still trying to take this in. I mean, it, you, you surprised me. <laughs> that's, it. that's what we do, Diana. Oh. Have you had a good time cruising around Buffini and Company today? I have. I don't know that I have ever, in all of my travels, ever entered a building that is just so filled with such real, honestly, wonderful people that I would just wish I could become friends and go have cookouts with. <laughs> Well, they do eat a lot. I will say that. These people, they do eat a lot. I feed them and they keep coming back. Well, it's been a treat and we're so excited to walk you around the campus and show you all the buildings and all the folks and how dedicated we are to changing people's lives. And that's where we're kind of going to go back to this today because I stand on the shoulders of giants. In fact, over in the corner, you'll see that nice marble trophy that was an industry trophy and it's called On the Shoulders of Giants. It was an award I received. But one of the shoulders of the giants that I stood on to become who I am today was your husband. And I never got a chance to meet him. I hope to have a long chat with him in heaven one day. But he really has and continues to influence me. I listen to his voice all the time. And it's such a treat to meet you in person. You reached out to us some time ago. And you had some programs that Earl had done for the real estate industry. And you heard that we might be a good home for that stuff. And you reached out and it's been a great treat. So let's do this. Let's go back to the beginning a little bit and talk to the folks. Bring folks in. This is 160 countries listening in on this podcast, and there's people who are not as familiar. So talk a little bit about Earl's life and where he came from as a boy and what he went through in the Depression and even the war. It was kind of the great influences that were kind of the making of him. Well, I think a lot of people think that legends are born or mm. that they're born with a silver spoon in their mouth or whatever, but... You know, Earl was growing up during the Great Depression, and his dad had been kind of a rover, always looking for maybe greener pastures, and eventually left his mom and the three boys. 
And they were very, very poor. They were living in a tent. He said they had a cord that hung from the top of the tent with a bare light bulb hanging from it. And he and his brothers would take their little wagon and they'd go over to the WPA, which today I guess would be like welfare. Sure. And they would just give them cans without labels. So never really sure about what they were going to have, but they were grateful for whatever it was. And his mom worked at the uh, WPA sewing factory. And she loved to read. And she was one that just believed that, you know, you could just travel the world by just opening a book. And so she taught Earl a real love of reading. And so they're actually in a tent on the beach in Long Beach. And he would be running up and down the beach in his little sandals and and he'd go back to his tent, and then he'd go down the beach a little bit farther, and there'd be people sitting on their boats, and they'd be eating and drinking and laughing and having a really great time. And saw a little bit of a disparity there right. between the way he lived with people just down the beach. And so he asked his mom, you know, how come they live the way they do, and why do we live the way we do? And she explained that these were hard times. You know, it was the Great Depression, and the people were without homes and without food, and and without purpose and without hope. But it was okay. I mean, they had each other. And he said, we always called mom honey because when his dad was still around, he always called her Mm. honey. So they called her honey. Mm. And so they had honey and they had their warm, you know, loving nights with the mom around the bare light bulb. But he was keenly aware that there was other people living a different life than he was living at the time. He probably felt bad for his mom and the circumstances they were in. And they, they were in dire hardship. I mean, they were in poverty housing. They were, and he wanted to know why, but most of the people that he asked felt that that's the way life is, that Mm. you're sort of born into your position in life, and and that's just the way it is. And it didn't make sense to him. Earl was a very inquisitive little boy, something that he never outgrew. (laughs) (laughs) And so since he ran out of people to ask, he thought, Mom said, you can find out anything you want at the library. So he went off to the library, and he said he went up to the librarian, and he said, where do I find a book on why people turn out the way they do? (laughs) (laughs) They haven't written it yet, but you, young man, are going to write it one day. You may be the one. Yeah. You know, she didn't know, but she said, you know, help yourself. And so he just started reading, and he started looking. And, of course, he got sidetracked into the Hardy Boys and that sort of thing, as a little kid would do. And, you know, life continued to be rough. He and his buddy Matt used to jump on freight trains and go up to the city. And he said one time he went up there, and they had, I guess, a nickel between them, and they were hungry because it had been a long train ride. And so they became the first entrepreneurs, and they bought five cents worth of firecrackers. And then they waited until they saw a policeman come by on a horse, and they set off the firecracker. And the policeman came over and arrested them and put them in jail. And they had a warm place to stay that <laughs> night <laughs> and a nice meal. <laughs> smart man, smart man. <laughs> Turned them loose the next day, and they you know, went out to save the world. Now, he went on and joined the Marines. Is that right? I think he was 17 when he joined the Marines. Yeah, he lied a little bit about his age, and sure. they had promised to send him to China. And he thought that would be wonderful. But instead, they sent him to Hawaii, which was awesome. And here he was, this young kid, all these young boys, I mean, which is what our military is made up of, just young men. And the stories, oh, the stories that he told about, you know, them being in this beautiful place in Hawaii. And he was uh, stationed aboard the USS Arizona. It's unbelievable. 
and he was at his battle station the morning of the attack. In Pearl Harbor. In Pearl Harbor. December 7th. Absolutely. 1941. He's, what is he, 18 years of age at the time? 19? Maybe 20-ish. I don't know. But he didn't talk a lot about it. And I think that men who actually, men and women who see, you know, action, they don't talk about it. But while he was still in the Marine Corps, radio was just getting started. I mean, it's hard to believe. (laughs) I mean, in our generations, it's hard to believe we've come so far from just having radio. And uh, he went into a radio station. They were looking for a broadcaster. And he said he sat down behind that microphone and he said it was just love at first sight. Magic. He knew that's what he wanted to do and, forever. And to some degree, I mean, there's a certain dynamic. I mean, he was one of a very few handful of people who survived being on the USS Arizona. I think there was only 11 Marines survived. And he was one of the 11. Right. And many times someone will go through that. And it, on one hand, they're grateful. They're thankful. There's a little bit of survivor's guilt. But ultimately, I got to believe he felt like, you know, God's kept me alive for a purpose. I'm supposed to do something. I just believe you have to come to some kind of conclusions like, why did I make it? Yeah, and, you know, being married to him, of course, I had lots of questions about, you know, all the years that we weren't together. And he was a man that really lived in the present. Mm. And he didn't question, like, you know, why am I here? Why did I survive? He just knew that there was a reason for Mm -hmm. it. But he still wanted to know why people turned out the way they did. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, he's still trying to figure this out after everything else. And he started out as an announcer, and then he was the voice of Sky King. There's some people who don't even know him as Earl Nightingale. There's people who just remember Sky King. And, you know, I've got this little old radio. It's about this big. It's plastic, and it's cracked and been glued together. I used to listen to him when I was a child because there was an 18-year age difference. And I would listen and I'd buy Skippy Peanut Butter. Skippy Peanut Butter was advertised by a new announcer who was Mike Wallace. Oh, wow. Yeah. 60 Minutes. Absolutely. So I'd send in, you know, Skippy labels and get the magic whatever. And then, you know, he had a daily talk show. Yeah. And they needed to fill up the space back then. I mean, yeah. if you could talk, you were on all and day man, long. could he talk. <laughs> yeah. Listen to this. My voice compared to this. This is a voice made for the radio, made for impact. Let's listen to Earl the Pearl. I'd like to tell you about the strangest secret in the world. Some years ago, the late Nobel Prize winning Dr. Albert Schweitzer was being interviewed in London, and a reporter asked him, Dr., What's wrong with men today? And the great doctor was silent a moment, and then he said, Men simply don't think. It's about this that I want to talk with you. We live today in a golden age. This is an era that man has looked forward to, dreamed of, and worked toward for thousands of years. Did he, like, honey, could you bring me the Skippy peanut butter? <laughs> I mean, that's... Yes, honey, where the hell's the Skippy peanut butter? <laughs> See, it's on the second show. I looked and it wasn't there. Here it is. Well, it wasn't there two minutes ago. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So he was a guy. He was a real guy. My mom always said, if I want to hide something from your father, I put it on the second shelf right in front of his nose in the fridge. Uh, He'll never find it. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, what an impact. He was born for this, it seemed like. So much wisdom, so much insight, and then he had that voice and power. It's like, okay. Like, he was placed on this earth for this period of time to bless so many people. Uh, We're going to dance around a bunch of places here today, but 
so many people are looking for success and so many people are, you know, there, there's so many books now. You, you attract it to yourself and you sit down, you wait for it and you do this and you do that. All the big success stories that I've come across, whatever I've seen in my own life, has been while I was busy working, while I was busy doing, something came along and then it gained momentum. The Strangest Secret was the first ever gold record of the spoken word in history. In fact, it took 20 years before there was a second one. But yet, Earl was training insurance people. He was doing classes. And what we were talking about at lunchtime today, The Strangest Secret was a record he made because he wanted to go fishing. That's right. Tell the folks the story. Well, he did have this life insurance agency, and he would talk to the guys on Saturday morning and tell them, you know, what you need to do. You can't give up. You know, it's all right. For every no, you're closer to a yes, blah, blah, blah. And so Earl told his manager, he says, hey, I'm going to take off go fishing for a couple of weeks. And he says, well, fine. You know, when you come back, we will no longer have a business because <laughs> the, the men the are... salespeople are not doing it. That's right. You need to prop them up. And so he, he was a man with his priorities, and going fishing was <laughs> right up there. And so he had a buddy, Dick Hutter, that worked for Columbia Records. And so he said he went home and he thought about it. And he used to say, and I put it on the rotisserie of my mind. <laughs> Let it make a few turns. And he says, and I thought, what would I say if I knew I wasn't going to be here anymore that would be of value? What would be the most important lesson that I could leave behind and he said he, you know, went to sleep. I mean, as guys do, <laughs> you know, the world is falling apart, but yep. you go to bed and go to sleep. Yeah. And he said he woke up in the morning and he put on a pot of coffee and he sat down and wrote this message. And he said he took a shower, shaved, put on a pot of coffee, and he went over to Columbia Records. And he says, Dick, let's record this and put it on one record. Took it over to his manager. He said, here, play this while I'm gone and went fishing. And so when they came back, the manager said, Earl, you have no idea the impact that this has had on everyone. He said, can you get some more of these? Because everybody that heard it would like to have one. Earl was, yeah, I can get a couple more. So he brings them back. Well, they would take it home and they'd play it for their buddies and their neighbors and their friends. And everybody that heard one wanted one. And so they began creating more and more and more. And there was no advertising. There was no social media. Mm -hmm. There was no internet. There was nothing. Just people playing this And you record. had to have a record player. That's you right. You had to have electricity. That's right. And there was a fraction of the amount of people who, in a home that could even play a record. But everybody that heard it wanted one. And they did. They sold a million copies without any advertising. And that was 1950... 1956 that he wrote it. I mean, there might have been 20 million record players in the country at the time. Well, the interesting thing about it was that The Strangest Secret came to him as a result of reading Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really important point that everyone should, you know, kind of tune in on because he said that when he was reading Think and Grow Rich, he said six words, he said, all but leaped off of the page and they were, we become what we think about. Mm -hmm. And he realized that not only was it true, but in all the years that he was searching, he had read it over and over and over in different ways and in different places. And all the great thinkers had said it in one way or another. And he said, I guess maybe it was the right time. You know, maybe I was in the right frame of mind. Maybe I was just relaxed, not looking for it. Mm -hmm. But he got it. And I think that, you know, it's one of the things that I think are really important in today's world because... There isn't anything new in the universe, right. but there are different ways of presenting it. And maybe I can tell you over and over again, 
and you're going to understand and you're going to accept it, but you're not going to get it. And then somebody else will tell you, you go, wow, that's the greatest mm-hmm. thing I ever heard. Like your kids. Yep. You know, I mean, when, when they hear it from somebody else. And, you know, it just created a whole industry. But unfortunately, people still had the mindset that you came into this world and that's where you were meant to be. You were either poverty stricken or you were special. And I think that, you know, for a long time, people really felt that that's where they were stationed to be. And so personal development was usually created by successful people for successful people. And that's where the big difference is between what happened then and what's available in today's world. Right. I mean, you were saying in the early days when he started recording this stuff that basically the only people who wanted to record it were to target market successful people. Mm-hmm. And you guys were making the argument, we want this to go to people who are not successful, who want to become. You know, he, he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot the tent never. and the light bulb. He never, never forgot going down to the WPA to get a handout to help them survive. He never forgot surviving the USS Arizona. And he, he wanted to give and share. But in those days, it was all about, okay, this is where the most money is to be made. Let's go where the money is. And you have been a great champion of Earl's message in the last... 29 years with him gone, Lord of mercy on him. But you've been keeping the flame alive and keeping his message alive. And the goal was to get it to as many people as possible. Let's talk about this for a second. If you were to boil down the very essence of Earl's message, obviously we become what we think about. What would you just say are the, the key pieces that you've seen that have really helped transform people in regards to the core message of Earl Nightingale? I think realizing that we have choices. Mm. And I think that you begin to realize more and more when you talk to people about how they've overcome whatever it is that they think of as adversity, whether real or imagined, that it all changes with thought. I mean, if you think you can, I mean, it's like little children learn to walk because they think they can. And so just the dynamic that we have choices. We have choices about our attitude. Mm -hmm. We have choices about our circumstances and our situation. And it has to first start in the mind. You have to believe it. Now, in our world today, it's a very sexy thing to say, all I've got to do is change my thoughts and then wait for success to come into me. It's success is going to knock on the door for me. The law of attraction, which is a very profound truth, has been taken and bastardized, in my opinion, into something it was never intended to do, which is basically facilitate a lack of engagement, facilitate a lack of desire to grow. You know, Earl was all about work. So you change your thinking, focus on what you want to become, and then go do it, right? The go do it was a big part of it, right? Well, yeah, and there are two parts to the strangest secret, and that's where he talks about the philosophy behind it, mm-hmm. the truth behind it, the universal law behind it. But then part two is do the work. Right. And the picture on the wall is great. I have them. I have five pictures of Brian Buffini at my house. I have one on the mirror in the <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> I brush my teeth with him in the morning. <laughs> I have one on the lamp by my bed. I have one on the refrigerator. I have one on my computer. And I have another one by my little recording. Because, you see, I think that this is the place to be. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And isn't that part of it, though? And then you got on an airplane, you come on out here, and we sit down and have a series of discussions about what to do with Earth's content and how to make this thing alive and how to continue on his legacy and how to do it in a way that honors the man, honors the spirit of what you guys are doing, and how to do it in a way that meets the needs of the modern market. So 
you, you're thinking about it. You've gotten referrals. People who are trusted in the marketplace say, go to Buffini. But then you came on an airplane and came on out here. Well, yeah. And I, I think that the important thing about pictures or written goals is they will either help you to constantly remember that that's what you want or you look at, I don't want that anymore. Mm. You know, I mean, it works both ways. But I think that the importance of goal setting and having a picture or whatever is that basically it helps you to stay focused on what you want Mm -hmm. because we're always surrounded by people that say, well, you can't do that or what do you want to do that for or you're not going to make any money at that or nobody else does that anymore. And so, you know, you can be swayed by that and then your thinking begins to drift where if you have a visual in front of you and you go, this is something I want to investigate, you know, I mean, it's like, You want a new refrigerator. Well, you just put that up. You want a refrigerator. But then you start to investigate what kind do you want, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you still have to get the money for it and you still have to buy it. And so it's not going to show up in your kitchen the next day just because you put a picture on the wall. To me, I always use the analogy of salt. Salt is made up of sodium and chloride. If you take sodium by itself, it'll poison you. If you take chloride by itself, it'll poison you. Put them together, the greatest spice the world's ever known. And that's our thinking and our actions, right? right. It's, it's doctrine and application. Right? We've all met people who were religiously very doctrine-oriented, but no earthly good, you know, right. so heavenly-minded. And so the dynamic is, and I bring this up and I pound on this because I've been a personal growth reader for 30 years. And I've read a lot of people who said, I was inspired by Napoleon Hill and I was inspired by Earl Nightingale. And then they write a book and I go, both those guys would be turned in their grave if that's the summation you came to, where it doesn't involve work. I mean, I was listening to the real estate piece that uh, Earl did, which is, as a real estate man, it brought great joy to my heart. But he basically, when we teach a process called the win the day formula, well, Earl is constantly pounding. You have to basically win the day. You have to do it day by day. It's not going to all come overnight. But if you keep showing up, keep showing up, eventually great things will happen. You know, and he was a student of success. Would you say that curiosity was ultimately what helped drive himself into the content he created? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was basically a curious person. And as I said before, there was an 18-year difference in our age. But I was really the adult. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, really and truly, I mean, because he was like a curious kid. And unless you could come up with a really good reason why you shouldn't do that, he thought you should. And he just didn't believe in being negative in any way at all. And he believed that we came from someplace. And that was kind of a mystery, even though we can all speculate and we can base it on our own personal beliefs and, you know, fight other people over it. And then we're going to go someplace, which, again, you know, we've only had one testimony about what really happens. You know, not everybody buys into that. So he said, what we have here is a holiday on Earth, Mm. this time that we're here. And he thought that it was up to us. You know, people say, well, what's the meaning of life? And he'd say, well, it's up to you to add meaning to Mm. life. And you will either make it a meaningful experience or a meaningless experience. Mm. And he was very curious. He was very spontaneous. He was very work-driven. I mean, first came work. Mm. Then came lunch. Mm-hmm. Then came play. <laughs> you know, and then came football. But <laughs> <laughs> Who was his team? Who did he cheer for? Oh, of course, Chicago. You yeah, know, yeah, strong. absolutely. Yeah. 
I mumbled at him one time about, oh, I do his watch football. He goes, yeah, well, you'll miss me when I'm gone. I said, no, I won't. I said, I'm going to get an inflatable man, and I'm going to put him in front of the TV, and I'm going to put a remote in his hand, and then I'll speak to him, and he'll never say anything back. And I said, and it'll be just like having you here. <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, we get this. I made my wife laugh for about 15 minutes the other night. You know, I get thousands of letters and emails every week. And I got three in a row. I had a huge amount of mail I was going through, but I had three in a row that were all kind of similar. And I read them to her in bed. She's almost fallen asleep. And it goes, dear Brian, you just changed my life, all that kind of stuff. And she goes, I was just thinking how amazing it must be to be your wife, to have access to you all the time and to hear this great stuff all the time. It just must be such a thrill for your wife and your kids to be surrounded by you all the time. And my wife laughed. For 20 minutes. I thought I was going to have to call the emergency room. Now, I brought her home because I knew it would kill her. I'm like, honey, isn't it great to have access to me all the time? And she is like, good Lord. But, you know, that's the thing. Errol Nightingale was a man. And he put on his pants one leg at a time when you showed him the directions of where it was. And, uh, right? And he loved his football and whatever else. But, again, it's difficult because you were married to a legend and a brand. And, like you said, you go to a barbecue and they're not talking to Earl, they're talking to Earl Nightingale. Yeah, and the story you just told is just so much like people, you know, they come up and they're like dewy-eyed and they go, oh my God, you know, oh, what was it like? I mean, you probably never had any problems. I mean, it's like, yeah, we lived in Camelot, you know, and I said, well, I'll tell you what it was like. I said, Earl realized he was the creative genius. <laughs> You know, and as such should be worshipped. <laughs> so he didn't do menial things like pay the bills, yep. you know, oh, yeah. solve the problems. Yeah. So he'd be watching the football game, and I'd come down to the TV room, and I'd say, honey, you know, that's blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, well, what are we going to do about it? And he'd go, well... Let the world take a few turns, and he says, and you'll figure it out. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> the Earl Nightingale coaching program. Absolutely. My, uh, my mother one time, she said, my dad, you know, worked with his hands. He was a painter and decorator, but he had men working for him. And he, a lot of times he was arranging the jobs and whatever else. So one time my mother says, she goes, you know, your father thinks manual labor is the president of Spain. <laughs> she goes, he, 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 he thinks that's a person. Because <laughs> when my dad came home, from work, the last thing you want to do is pick up a paintbrush and paint the house. You know what I mean? And so it is. And and it's actually, it is what I would say sometimes it has been challenging for me because I came from a man who worked with his hands to a man who worked with his mind. I thought something was wrong with me for a long time because I would come home exhausted and I hadn't moved all day. And it took me a long time to figure out I have to go home and work out even though I feel exhausted because I'm mentally exhausted. And... You know, the kind of work he was doing, the kind of work that I do, you realize you go home and it's like you're just looking for a place to try to fill the tank up to some degree, you know, and it's a lot. It's a lot. And you're giving people a lot. And he spoke a lot. And people don't realize, you know, you meet speakers, you know, I probably 50 speakers come through our company every year and people study in our organization. and We book dozens of them for events. And it's hard. It's not an easy life. I, I told him if I write an autobiography one day, it'll be called Kitchens and Dumpsters. Because that's all I've seen all over the world is the backstage areas and it's kitchens and dumpsters. It's never the... I bring people to all these exotic locations. I never see them. You know, it's kitchens and dumpsters and airplanes and it's that. So it is a different life than what people think of it. It has... Uh, it you truly know, is. Yeah. It's much more practical. And I think if you have a job to do 
and you know you have to do this today and then it gets to be five o'clock this will be here tomorrow yeah. and you can continue that and you have a physical thing something that you have to achieve but when you do the kind of work that we do you can't turn your head off no. and i remember you know when earl and i were first married he had an office away from the house and uh, we had this extra room, and so I said, do you mind if I just kind of convert that into my own little room so that if I want to pay bills or whatever, I don't have to do it on the dining room table? And he said, okay, fine. So I fixed up this room, and in it I put this extra typewriter that he had before computers. Right. And so I said to him, honey, I said, if you wanted to, you know, he goes, no, that's your room. And I said, okay, fine. So one night, you know, he could never wait till morning to give me the good news. It was always, honey, honey, yeah, I got something to tell you. Okay, I woke up. And he said, I got something to tell you. And I said, what? And he says, well, you know, it's been my lifelong dream to someday write a book. And he said, and I don't know how to write a book because I write radio shows. And, you know, you tell everything you need to in five or ten minutes. And he says, and I woke up in the night, and he said, and I went into your room, <laughs> and I sat down at the typewriter, and he said, and I've been writing for hours, and he said, I'm closing the office today, will you help me go over and pack everything up? And he said, the beauty of that was, and you can relate to this, and I know I certainly do, because I live in my pajamas in front of my computer, and that is that he would go into work at 9 o'clock in the morning, and the people would come by, and they go, oh, hi, Earl, you know, and they'd yeah. want to come in, they want to chit-chat. And then he'd sit there and look at the typewriter and know that he had to write radio yeah. shows. And you can't just turn it on and turn it yeah. off. And unfortunately, or fortunately, you know, it's a curse and a blessing, that the creative juices come whenever they want yep. to. Yep. And it's usually when you're really tired, yep. you know. It's, or very relaxed. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Beverly knows when we go to Hawaii... There's certain parts of it that I will go over there. I won't bring hardly any of my notes or any of my research or whatever else. And then about three and a half days in, all of a sudden, here it comes. And I'll be calling back to San Diego. Hey, send me this and send me that. And we've learned to dance with it a little bit because it just, it's like, okay, when you're coming up with a song, the song writes itself. And you've just got to be open to move the pen. And it is part of the process. And it's, it's a dynamic. You know, here's an interesting thing. I was told by a teacher when I was young that I was not a creative person. In fact, you don't have a creative ounce in your body, Buffini, was what I was told. And the reason being is I was judged on that based on by how good my handwriting was or wasn't. My brothers, you met Dermot today, quite the character. They used to say, your handwriting looked like a spider dipped its butt in ink and walked across <laughs> the page, you know. And so based on that, a teacher told me I was not creative. And I believed that for years. It was years later, I was actually at a seminar, and I, I, I can't remember who it was. That's, isn't that funny? That I can't remember who it was. Somebody said to me, well, Brian, you're a very creative person. And I go, what do you mean? They go, well, you're doing deals all the time, and you're coming up with solutions all the time. That's the essence of creativity, not whether you can paint or draw or something. And now I spend 85% of my day is on the creative process. So it's something that most people aren't even aware that they can create, they have to put themselves into an environment to create, and they have to understand that it's actually part of them, and it's just in the way they're supposed to create. It doesn't mean it's going to be works of art or songs that are going to be number one hits, but creative thought is part of their process. And Earl tapped into a part of his brain and then told the rest of us about it. In many ways, Napoleon Hill had discovered it and communicated it in depth, but Earl brought life to it, I believe, and made it for every man. 
and he gave thoughts and he gave research and he cited books and he gave great examples. He was a great storyteller and he made it come alive. And the next thing you know is, I can do that. I can do that. But if you listen to Earl's recordings, like I've been pouring over this real estate piece you gave me and like they're little sound bites and I have to listen to them five and six times. It's very rich stuff. You have to listen to it over and over again to really get the meat out of the bones. I was sharing with you, I showed you an original copy of Dorothea Brand's uh, Wake Up and Live. That's an example where he mentioned that in passing in The Strangest Secret. And most people just kept going. And I went, stop the recording. Back up. Who did he mention? And there's a number of people he mentions that I research, and I'm researching even right now from that real estate piece he gave me. And most people miss that. He mentions Dorothea Brand. Ogmandino mentions Dorothea Brand. And yet, you can't find a picture of her. You can't find her work anywhere. But I went, dug up, dug up, and found not only her book, but her writings. And then here's a little game plan to change your life. And it's bit by bit by bit. But you have to access that. And so, for me, the great gift that Earl brought was he kind of made it 3D. Using that gift of his voice and his great ability to communicate, he took those principles from Think and Grow Rich and made them for every man and every woman. You know, I think the reason that so many people are drawn to his recordings is that when he wrote The Strangest Secret, he didn't do it because somebody said, I'll give you $100 if you write a recording. It was his aha thing. Let me tell you about this. It's like when you discover something, you want to tell somebody else. Well, Earl never stopped researching. I mean, he at the last conversation we had was, bring the books on my desk to the hospital. It's time to go back to work. And because I think the best teachers are those that are still students. Mm. And I think that unless you are a student, you're really a pretty lousy teacher because you haven't lived it. You're not experiencing it. It's not going through you as, yes, this is true. This is sound. This is valuable. It's just saying other people's words. And, you know, the really meaningful teachers are those that have really touched students at a heart level and intellectually, of course, too, but mostly at a heart level. And I think that we are human beings, and Earl had that ability to, I mean, people would say, oh, yeah, we grew up with Uncle Earl. We had to listen to him when we were having breakfast or, you know, and people loved him without ever having met him. Yeah. Well, on the back here, you'll see it says a little Italian phrase from Michelangelo. Ancoro imparo is what I've been told to say is the proper pronunciation. It says, I'm still learning. And that was the sign on his doorway, and he was a master. You've been around the personal growth and development world now forever. You're Mrs. Diana Nightingale. Here's a question I would have for you. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen people make when it comes to personal growth? I think thinking that all they have to do is show up at a seminar and they're going to be magically transformed or that their life is going to be transformed or just because they bought something or attended something that that makes the change And they have to realize that you have tools, now you have to build a new life. Mm. And personal growth isn't something that you do today, and it's not like an inoculation where you (laughs) you you go, okay, well, I got vaccinated, I'm I'm good good to go now. It is personal, it's you, and you should be growing forever, and therefore this should be your number one thing in life, is to, your acre of diamonds is yourself, and Mm. to be polishing up who you are and what you are. And I think one of the things that makes me sad in today's world is that I grew up during a time where we looked up to others. 
we wanted to raise people up. People wanted to be raised from wherever they happened to be, like Earl in the tent. And I think that Earl mentions, I think, in The Strangest Secret, where, you know, life is a lot like, you know, a convoy of war where they slow it down so that all the battleships can move together and nothing is weakened. And I think that somehow that's gotten misconstrued because now we are lowering everything to the lowest level. Expectations, the lowest common denominator. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you see it on TV or you see that's the way people act or whatever. So we're okay. You know, it's okay if we act dumb and stupid and ignorant. And the lack of respect and concern and, like Earl always talked about, in search of excellence sure. and not being mediocre. Mm, you come know. on. You know, Preach it, sister. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, just Excellence, the, standards, uh, commitment, values. Integrity, yeah. accountability. Yeah. Oh, my God, please. Don't get me started on accountability. Well, it's why we do what we do right here. It's absolutely. why we have an army of coaches that are helping people every day. Because even though I do the seminars, our mission is to impact and improve the lives of people. And I can impact them. And our events can impact them. Our podcasts can impact them. But unless they take the next step, where is the improvement coming from? I think if you guys are listening here today, you realize that Mrs. Diana Nightingale is in and of herself quite a force of nature and far more than just the wife of Errol Nightingale. And it's been a treat having you here. I have five questions I ask every guest. And I'm asking you. I'm not asking Errol. And I want to know about you because you just have so much wisdom and so much great energy. And I, I know this will be a blessing to so many people here today. Here's a few questions I have for you that I ask everybody. So first... What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? You'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give him credit for that? God bless you, Earl. You married a good woman. She gave you credit even when you left her hanging. You'll figure it out. Yeah, you know you will, though, right? Mm-hmm. And you've been figuring it out here for the last 29 years, yep. and God bless you. You've kept his message alive. And you've done it your own way, and it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. So we're going to help you. (laughs) The Buffinis are here. Second, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Humility. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Maybe the only honest answer I've ever gotten to that question. (laughs) Okay, what book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, probably the Bible. Yeah? Yeah. Which character in the Bible would you identify with? Mary. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because when I was a little kid in geography class, and I was painfully shy, and oddly I still am. I kid when I say humility because when I leave here, I'll go home and close the doors and I don't go out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we were asked if we could live at any other time in history, where would we be and why? And I wanted to live during the time of Jesus. Mm. You know, I said, I think I would have been one of his disciples. You know, I'd have been one of those tag-alongs. And they had said, yeah, she's a girl. She can't be included. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. He had a crew. Yeah. What's your favorite song? If you're driving along and a song comes on or it's an artist or a genre of music, and you go, that's your good mood music, what would it be? Time in a Bottle. Come on. There we go. Mr. Crochet. Well... He lived down here in San Diego, you know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, his restaurant's right downtown San Diego. Last but not least, if you're scrolling through the TV on occasion, I know you don't watch the news, and that's great advice for everybody, and I know that you said if it's snowing in Minnesota, there's nothing you can do about it, and so you haven't been given those powers, so you put the good stuff in. But if you're scrolling through and there's a movie on, and it's the one, you, no matter when it's on, you'll always tune in and watch a piece of it, what would that be? 
Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Now, what is it about The Wizard of Oz? It's the greatest motivational personal development movie that's ever been made. I mean, the message, you're different people at different times. You watch the movie and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm the lion, you know, or I'm the tin man, you know, I'm Dorothy, you know, sometimes you're the wicked witch. But the whole idea that your world is turned upside down, you suddenly find yourself in some foreign place, you know, surrounded by people that speak a language different than yours, which can still be your own mm-hmm. language, but sure. no one understands you. And I think then going down the yellow brick road, especially in personal development, you go down the yellow brick road until you get to the great powerful wizard, and he will solve all your problems, mm-hmm. and he will make you whole, and he'll give you everything you want. And you go through, you know, the flying monkeys and the poppy fields and the whole thing, and you fight the battle for your friends, and then you get there and the guy can't get you back to Kansas, mm. you know, and you've put all of your hopes and dreams in someone else when you always had the power within yourself. Mm. And I saw it when it first came out, you know, I was nine months old. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's a powerful movie. I well, love it. I'll tell you this, and it's profoundly communicated by you today in a way that is very, very helpful and blessing to a lot of people. You're a gifted woman. We're very thankful to have you here, honored to have you here in the Nightingale studio. Oh. And we'll continue to keep blessing as many people as we can in Earl's uh, memory. And then we're going to see what we can do together to keep helping people and to keep Earl's message alive. And I know you have a lot of content that Earl produced that uh, has a place in this world. We're drowning in information and starving for wisdom. And the man had a lot of wisdom. And I, we're going to certainly do our part to try to make sure that that message keeps going out in a many different variety of ways. He would be so pleased. He'd be neat. I wish I'd have met him, but I, I feel like I've met a little bit of him with you. And uh, he's in my car with me almost every day. So it's uh, what a joy it's been to meet you today. Thank you. And to all of you listening, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. So be sure to hit the subscribe button and tune in each week so we can explore the mindsets and the motivation and the methodologies of success. And so as I finish here today, I'm going to leave you with a little Irish blessing that my grandfather always said. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 